0: Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. And no matter what you think, you are never alone. Hello, and welcome back to Keepers of the Flame podcast. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number 27. It's a sisterhood with my BRCA mutation sister, my cancer sister, and my friend, Carrie Mott. Y'all, there's a sense of sisterhood that connects those who've battled breast cancer. It's a sorority that no one wants to get initiated into. However, once you've become a member, despite your pleas not to join, there is great love and support among those who get it best, those who've actually walked that road. When I was first diagnosed, I was connected with another young woman, Carrie Mott. And as fate would have it, she too had a BRCA mutation. She also had two little girls at home that she had to explain things to And what are the odds here we also ended up having the same doctors we were both high-risk and living in the same area so this was bound to happen and Carrie was a great person for me to talk to because although she didn't have to move forward with chemo and radiation at the time she did have the mutation and she did have to have a bilateral mastectomy and she did have those two little girls and the same doctors so we immediately connected. Carrie underwent that bilateral mastectomy along with reconstruction. She had expanders changed out to implants. And so when it was my turn to have this surgery, she held my hand and walked me through what exactly I needed to know, what to expect. She helped me prepare physically and emotionally. And she talked with me about ways to talk to my children about what was about ready to happen to mom. She also went over with me things to expect the day of surgery and how to heal afterwards. I leaned on Carrie a lot when I was first diagnosed. After my surgery, my life took a different path. I was required to have chemotherapy and radiation. Those were the specifics of my cancer. Carrie, however, didn't need any of that at the time. All she had to have was the surgery, the bilateral mastectomy and reconstruction. And then she was set to go. But then life came full circle. And my go-to confidant, my BRCA mutation cancer sister, she she was like my big sister in this sorority. After a bilateral mastectomy, Carrie was diagnosed with breast cancer. She got this diagnosis after that breast tissue had been removed. It was now my turn to hold her hand and to walk her through what to expect with chemo. Today, Carrie joins us to talk about some of the things that we together have learned in this sisterhood, to talk about what it means to have that BRCA mutation, to discuss with us diagnosis after a mastectomy. That's something that people don't necessarily realize is possible. Carrie's also going to talk with us about friendship, hope, And since she and I both speak metaphor, we have some brilliant ones that she and I have talked about, and we want to share them with you, what they mean, and how they're helpful. Welcome, Carrie. We're so happy to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Joyce. So walk us through and tell us just a little bit about your background, like how and when you discovered that you had the BRCA mutation.
1: So... Breast cancer and ovarian cancer run extremely prevalent in my family. We have about four generations back where it's just saturating the women. And my mother is a breast cancer survivor. She was diagnosed when she was 44. So at the very beginning of 2015, my sister came to me and my mom and said, we really should pursue genetic testing. And...
0: Because if you could rule it out for her, then that would make it... For those that don't know genetics, if she doesn't have that mutation, then her children, you and your sister, wouldn't have to worry about it. Exactly. And at the time, we were just really hopeful,
1: hey, two for the price of one. Right. So she agreed to it, and she came back with the BRCA1 mutation. So then my sister and I both had to have the test to know which of us would have the mutation also. So thankfully my sister does not
0: carry the mutation mm-hmm. and I do have the BRCA1 Great. mutation. And quick crash course in genetics for those that don't know, if your mom has the mutation then each of her children has a 50% chance of getting it. So if your sister's negative that doesn't necessarily mean that you're negative. If one is positive it doesn't mean the other is positive. You could both be negative. You could both be positive. It just depends on what chromosome got passed down.
1: That is right. That is right. And so thankfully, we were not both carriers of mutation. In fact, only one of us
0: was. Mm-hmm. So. so you, how old were you when you found out? I was 34. You were 34. And what went through your mind when you first found out that you had the mutation? It was pretty quick. Let's do this.
1: All in the same calendar year, under one insurance deductible, That's right. <laughs> jumped right in, had a hysterectomy, and then a couple months later had the double mastectomy, and then the reconstruction on New Year's Eve of the same calendar year. Oh,
0: man. Wow. Now, did you have, when you had, okay, so you had the hysterectomy, and the, and the reason why, again, is because for those of you listening, if you have a BRCA mutation, you are more at risk for not only breast cancer, but there's an elevated risk for ovarian cancer as well, hence the hysterectomy. The bilateral mastectomy, did you do that prophylactically, or did you find out that you had ductal, did you tell me you had invasive ductal carcinoma? Right. The invasive ductal carcinoma
1: just happened this year. It was entirely prophylactically. I had no cancer. So you,
0: okay, so you found out that you had the mutation, and you went ahead and said, I'm getting out ahead of this. Mm -hmm. I'm not messing around take the gut and everything. Just do it. I want to live my life. So you had the hysterectomy. And then when we say prophylactic mastectomy, meaning that you had that surgery done with there not being any cancer, you had it because you were at an elevated risk. That is right.
1: And in fact, even had a little bit of survivor's guilt over it. If I had a dollar for every time I said or thought well, I'm never going to hear the words breast cancer. I'm that I got to previve it. I mm-hmm. felt guilty because so many generations of women in my family didn't get the opportunity to previve it. Right. So that was a work in progress emotionally on how to deal with the guilt of having the opportunity to previve right. it.
0: Right. I like to think that information, you know, is meant to empower us. So knowing that you have and being being vigilant and talking to your family and knowing that there is this history, being aware of that, and then the fact that you guys were proactive and, and told your mom, hey, get the testing done, and then you did the testing. That's all, these are little coins in your purse of information, right? These little nuggets of knowledge that helps give you what you need to make informed decisions for you and your own health. And I totally get the survivor's guilt because I think that that hits a lot of us in one way or another. But knowing that what your family went through, it wasn't for nothing. It was giving you pieces of information. The fact that they shared that with you and you knew about it was all helping you to be able to make a more informed decision.
1: Absolutely. And being that it's a BRCA1 mutation... We may still have more generations of this, and a conversation that my family has a lot now is seeing each generation things improving, the choices improving, the legislature improving, gives us hope that the next generation will have it even easier. Exactly. There will be even more progress.
0: Exactly. That's I'm. I have the brca two mutation. That's my hope. That's my hope as well. You and I first connected when i found out that i had to have the surgery done myself i found out i had the BRCA2 mutation we did increased surveillance found out the first mri that i did found out that i had three masses they did a biopsy found out that it was in fact cancer so i had to have the bilateral mastectomy done and we were connected right before I had to go into surgery. And when I say we were connected and we met, we really didn't meet face-to-face. But we talked a lot on the phone. What, what went through your mind when we, quote, met for that first time? Honestly, Joyce, you gave me more credit than
1: I deserved with supporting you. I know you say that I was one of your lighthouses. But looking back on it, I don't feel like I did enough for you. That was part of me still dealing with that survivor's guilt because I didn't have the word cancer in my history. But I knew we could get you through that double mastectomy. Mm -hmm. So we had a crash course in what you need and, and what
0: the surgery is going to be like. And, of course, how to talk to children. Well, let's talk about that. We both have little ones at home. And um, we talked about some different strategies. How did you tell your girls about having to have the surgery?
1: We talked a lot about the breast tissue and what a wonderful job it has done. It has served me well in life. It fed them and I don't need it anymore. Mm -hmm. And it could be dangerous for me to keep it. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to get rid of it. And I'm still the same mommy. Mm -hmm. I still have the same body. I'm going to just get some new stuffing in there that's going to be healthier for me. And I'm going to come out of it with scars. But that these are going to be really cool battle scars. Mm-hmm. These scars are going to show that I have growth and repair on the
0: inside as well as the outside. And that you're strong. They're yes. marks. They're just marks placed on your body saying that you were That you were strong, that you survived. And we all have scars, right? Sometimes they're visible, sometimes they're not. But they're just marks that tell a story about our lives. Yes. Yeah, I told my girls that mommy had a boo-boo and that it was the kind that you couldn't fix in the bathroom with Neosporin and a (laughs) Band-Aid. And cause they wanted to be like, well, where's the hydrogen peroxide? Like, let me get you <laughs> that's what we do. What kind of band-aid you want, Mama? <laughs> anyway, so I told them it wasn't that kind and that it required special tools and cameras and stuff to be able to see where the boo-boo actually was in order for the doctors to take care of it. And they wanted to know how, how our doctor is gonna take care of it. And mine were little at the time, they were four and five at the time. So trying to keep it age appropriate, I said to them, I said, Well Doctors go to school for a long time to learn different ways to take care of different boo-boos. And so mommy's doctor went to school, and she knows how to take care of this boo-boo. So she's going to do it for mommy. But grandma's going to come and watch you while I go. Grandma's coming! (laughs) They're so excited. (laughs) So excited about that. Yes, I think all the perks made it nice
1: of... Me not going to work and Mm. all the family visits. Right. And that definitely helped to disguise some of the hardships with it.
0: Right. Now, the surgery itself, ways to prepare. I know you told me button-up tops were going to be helpful. Why Walk us through why that's so important and then what some other things to think about might be.
1: You lose the movement in your arms with a double mastectomy. I can remember my first milestone of having the strength to actually push down the hand soap pump all by myself to wash my hands in the sink. And I can remember about maybe the 10 day mark, figuring out how to open the refrigerator door myself using this steel roller as a wedge to, (laughs) like as a simple machine to pop open the refrigerator door because I was so (laughs) aggravated asking for help so much. So because you lose the mobility and strength in your arms, the
0: button-up tops Mm -hmm. made things easier. You really can't put anything on over your head. It didn't happen. It gets better and your range of motion comes back, but immediately following surgery, it's just not going to. Not gonna happen. I remember you telling me about the refrigerator story, and I remember going to my refrigerator, and I, I, same thing. I'm like, I want to get. You wouldn't think that'd be such a big deal, right? Why well, I, I use all of my strength and I open up that right hand side of the refrigerator. Dang it! What I want's on the other side. So then I open <laughs> up the other side of the refrigerator. Dang it! It's on the top shelf. I can't reach that high. That is not gonna happen. Oh, those are some frustrating moments. <laughs> So what are some other things to prepare? So button up tops and what else?
1: I had these great mastectomy tanks that held the drains, had had pockets for the drains. Those were nice, they were comfortable. Where did you sleep when you came home? I slept in a recliner. I found that I could not sleep laying flat in a Mm -hmm. bed and I slept in a recliner for a couple of weeks. In fact, my husband was so sweet. He didn't want me sleeping out in the living room all alone. And so every single night, he would lift this recliner and bring it into our bedroom. And then every morning, bring the recliner back to the
0: living room for my day. He gets points for that. Yes. (laughs) Aw. Yeah, I slept on the couch. And the reason why laying, laying flat in the bed is so hard is because not only is it hard to move your arms, but your whole chest muscles. Like, you can't really move them like so if you think about sitting on the edge of a bed and rolling back in we take a lot of those motions for for granted right but right after surgery it hurts Mm -hmm. so any of that pushing and tugging and you know it's it's hard it's easier to just be able to sit down and kind of roll in and not have to move those muscles as much we didn't have a recliner so i we propped up on the on the couch with, with dozens and dozens of pillows. <laughs> yes, you do need lots of pillows. What would you say is the single most advantageous piece of advice that you could give to someone that's about ready to embark on this kind of surgery?
1: I would say to let people show up for you. Don't try to do it 100% on your own. That's not the definition of being strong and courageous, that it is okay and good to let people serve you in whatever manner they are offering. Learn how to say yes.
0: Yeah, that, that was something that somebody else had told me too. That's really, I'm glad that you said that because I've always been that I'm going to be strong and take care of everybody else. And so to open myself up to be able to let other people assist me, was kind of a very big vulnerable moment Mm -hmm. to admit that I wasn't completely at 100%. I wanted to be the one taking care of everybody else. And so to be vulnerable and let other people help me, it is, it's very nice, definitely needed. But I had somebody tell me, Joyce, you know, God answers prayers by sending people into your life at just the right time. So don't deny them bringing their special gifts of whatever it is that they have to offer to support you, to love you, to bring you comfort. Because in doing that, you're you're denying some of the answers to your own prayers. So open up and accept them.
1: I could not agree with that more. I think that God speaks through people, the people around us. And in these messy storms in our life, that's when we're more open and receptive. It's not that he's not always there. He is always there, but we listen a lot closer in these situations. And at my table, there's a lot of different chairs for people to come pull up a chair and have a seat and show up in so many different forms and fashions. And through my pre viver journey, I didn't do that nearly as much as now my cancer journey, I am learning how to do that on a a much better level. It's been incredibly rewarding seeing how genuine people are Mm -hmm. and the goodness in people and what different ways you can show up for people.
0: Right. There's not a set recipe. No. It comes down to the bottom line of, I think, love. And however you show that is support. So Okay, so more than the mastectomy, we were talking about how you and I both, we have that BRCA mutation, and you talked a little bit earlier about how you had this conversation with your sister and your mom. Looking forward, we also both have two little girls, so I know it's in the back of our minds that we're going to have to have this conversation one day with them. Have you had that conversation yet, or are you waiting until they're a little bit older?
1: I have not fully had the conversation yet. It's been very, very vague, nothing in detail. I'm not ready for it yet. I don't think they're ready for it yet, and there's no reason to rush it. I'd like for their maturity to be a little bit higher.
0: Yeah. I don't have a set prescription either for when and how the best time for that to be. I just know that it's not right now. They're too little. They need to, to, like you said, mature a little bit. Maybe even uh, have a better understanding of genetics in and of itself beforehand. I don't know. But I don't want to evoke fear because the point of knowing that your mother has that BRCA mutation is not to induce fear. It's to deposit that little coin of knowledge. I have this. You need to know about this. So that you can protect yourself in whatever form that looks like for you.
1: Yes. And and then another layer of that onion is that my girls are close to the same age as your girls, maybe a tad bit older, but their bodies are starting to develop. Mm-hmm. And I want them to be excited about their developing right. bodies. I want them to love their developing bodies right. and not to think about the BRCA mutation possibility as their bodies are developed and be afraid of their developing.
0: Don't be, don't be afraid of your own body. Love it. Embrace it. Own who you are. And we're going to take care of it together. Exactly. I like that. Well, we're going to take care of it. Now, another super cool thing that you told me that you did the other day, which I thought was so awesome, is that you said that you donated your breast tissue. I did. So because that was a pre, pre-vivor year
1: I had a little bit more time than if I would have had a cancer diagnosis. I had a couple of months and I started asking questions about the research department at Memorial and do they take tissue donations because for my girl's sake, for the next generation's sake, I would like more BRCA1 mutation Mm -hmm. tissue to be researched and developed on. And through a lot of phone calls, found out, yes, in fact, they did. And I had someone from the research team who attended my surgery and collected the tissue and even got some mail a few weeks down the road about the studies that they were doing
0: on it. It was nice to see that the tissue stayed alive. That is so awesome that you thought to do that. It didn't even cross my mind, but you you knew that you had to lose the tissue because it was in your best interest based off of your family history and your mutation and everything that came together to create your personal plan and yet to think about the future and other people and how, okay, they're going to go. I've made this decision. They're coming off of me, but how can I make that better? How can I shine light even though I'm in a dark place? Mm -hmm. And I think that's just pretty badass of you like that's awesome
1: it was nice to have the time it was not a rush situation
0: right well i didn't know about that so i i didn't donate my tissue because i I didn't i didn't know about that And i think i was kind of like let's go get it out here's the (laughs) knife ready go aside from that up to this point our stories kind of paralleled they soon diverged after i got the biopsy results back from my mastectomy And found out that i needed to have chemo and radiation now fast forward time how long was it after your bilateral mastectomy that you were diagnosed three and a half years
1: after my bilateral mastectomy i had about a month where i was extremely tired i'm a runner i i wasn't running hardly at all i would get a mile into my runs and and couldn't go longer just very very tired. I had just gotten off work and plopped down on the sofa, and crossed my arms, curled up in a ball, about to fall asleep, and I felt a lump under my arm. That was three and a half years after the bilateral mastectomy.
0: And this this lump that you felt has been relatively recently, because you're still you're still in the midst of treatment after figuring out that that lump in fact was invasive ductal carcinoma.
1: Yes, I found the lump in May of 2019, so that was five months ago, and called my breast oncologist, made an appointment for the following week. She ultrasounded and biopsied it in the office that day, and even said with so much confidence, prepare yourself, I think this is cancer. There's times where we can just tell by the density on the ultrasound, this looks like cancer. And she was a little bit surprised at our reaction, mine and my husband's reaction, in the office that day because I didn't cry. I think I just stared at her like she had two heads. Yeah. Going into shock? Yes, because this wasn't supposed to happen. I made the most extreme choices that I could make to prevent this how could this happen? So it was a state of shock.
0: And most people don't realize that that is still possible. So, okay, so let's put this into perspective a little bit. The average woman, they have about a 12% chance of getting breast cancer within their lifetime. I think it's like one out of eight women will will get that. If you have the BRCA mutation, and I'm not sure the exact differences between BRCA1 and BRCA2, but BRCA2, for example, I had an 84% chance of getting breast cancer because of that mutation. If somebody has that elevated of a risk, such as yourself, you do a surgery to remove that risk, it drops that down to 8% or 10%. It significantly lowers your risk when you do that mastectomy. But help the listeners out there understand, why does it not take that risk all the way down to zero?
1: because there are still trace breast cells remaining. Having a double mastectomy is kind of like peeling an orange is the way that it was described to me. There is a trace layer of cells that remain, so the chance is still there. It is significantly reduced. My genetic counselor presented me with an over 90% chance of developing breast cancer, You had over 90%? Over 90%. With your,
0: with all, oh wow,
1: And girl. Which is why we moved quickly. Which is why
0: you were like, okay, let's go.
1: Let's do this. And so it dropped it down significantly, but there still was a chance. I don't want to steal the piece away from other previvors
0: because I know how warm and cozy it is once you have that peace of mind. And we'll talk about that again in a minute because I know you were hesitant to even talk to me because of that. But we'll, we'll we'll circle back we'll circle back to that. But okay, so so you went ahead and you found out, yes, after your bilateral mastectomy that you had done to drop that 90% risk down to say single digits, then you were diagnosed. So, I mean, we're a multicellular organism, right? And so we have all these different organ systems and they're made up of You've got different tissues throughout your body, including breast tissue. Tissues are made up of cells, and cells are tiny. Like, we can't see them. So you can't 100% eradicate every single cell. Like you said, the the trace cells, those cells make up tissue, and there's no way to completely eradicate every single one of them. It's It's just not possible. And so the fact that there are those trace cells remaining is what keeps it from being risked down to zero. It's definitely decreased when somebody does the prophylactic, but it's not eradicated completely. Right. I mean, it still beats the 90%. Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: I mean, have you ever thought about, like, well, what if I had never done this before?
1: Absolutely. I would not change a thing. A couple of reasons. I found the lump so easily myself because I have skin and an implant. There's nothing mm-hmm. for anything to hide in. Yeah. What, right. If I still had that breast tissue, would I have found the lumps so early? And then with this journey of now surviving cancer, I didn't have to go through these surgeries. That part's already done. So a little bit less on this year with the chemo and and then the upcoming
0: radiation because I've already been through half of it. Right. Tell us about the kind of cancer they ran. They ran biopsies on it. What? They, I mean, it's not just, hey, you have breast cancer. There's so many different flavors. What was your right. flavor of breast cancer? The, the news keeps coming
1: after <laughs> the initial word cancer. So right. I have invasive ductal carcinoma, stage two, because I did have spreading to one lymph node. I also had something called triple negative breast cancer. There are three different tumor markers that they test for in pathology, estrogen, progesterone, and HER2. And mine was negative for all three of those. Triple negative breast cancers can sometimes be aggressive. Mm -hmm. And I did have grade three, which is the highest
0: level of. So breaking this down a little bit, triple negative, basically meaning that there, if you were estrogen progesterone positive, there's medicine that they could give you for that to kind of help, but you weren't, so they can't give you that. Same thing with HER2-positive. There's medicine that they can give you the Herceptin for that, but you weren't, so they can't give you that. So triple negative being difficult because these two other possibilities of medicine to help prevent it from coming back, you can't have because of the nature of the makeup of that tumor. And then you say the grade was 3. So explaining that, it's how wonky those nuclei cells look. Like how crazy-eyed are they, right? And the more crazy-eyed they are the more aggressive they are, Mm -hmm. right? That's right. So
1: because I I don't qualify for some of the other suppressive therapies, lucky me, I get 16 chemo infusions because we have to use just a little more high-powered machine guns in chemo to make sure it's
0: obliterated. Because that being triple negative is your safeguard. That's it. That's right. So you had the Red Devil? I did. I had AC,
1: dose-dense, is the chemo term for it, which is adriamycin and cytoxin, adriamycin being the red devil and then cytoxin, a common combination to that, which is also high powered itself. Why do they
0: call it the red devil? It's red. <laughs> it is bright red. looks like blood. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the red devil part, because I hear it's pretty, it's, it's one of the intense ones, right? Like it has yes. an effect on you. It's vicious. Yes. What were some of your
1: side effects? That was eight weeks of suffering. The nausea, you you have to get a new Lasta shot to keep your blood levels high. Yeah,
0: your white blood cells. Yes, I had that too. Oh my gosh, bone pain. is terrible. Yes, I was bedridden. But I kept telling myself that the fact that I felt that bone pain meant that it was doing its job. Yes, yes.
1: I can remember being told that and not liking being told
0: that. (laughs) (laughs) I was imagining them being like little army soldiers and they would go deep into the bone marrow. Your white blood cells, folks, are produced in the bone marrow of your bone. And when you have chemo, it attacks all your fast-growing cells. And so the reason why chemo patients can get sick is because it 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 can cause their white blood cells to plummet. So oftentimes they will give you a shot. And there's different ones that are out there. It kind of all depends on what your cancer is and what – there's a lot of chemistry in it that's just way above my head. But at any rate, I was one of the ones that was able to get, as you said, this medicine that's job was to go – into the bone marrow to say chop chop i need more of you ready go and i just imagine them like personifying it as like little soldiers going pull this pull this you got to work faster folks and the more that fast that they were working the more my bones just ached <laughs> and i was like okay soldiers get them high
1: and i also didn't like the chemo brain i'm yeah. still experiencing it cuz i'm still going through chemo right now even that is a real thing. Your I, I picture inside my brain uh, a lot of neurotransmitters throwing a football back and forth, and then you throw chemo into the mix, and those balls are flying everywhere, and yeah. nothing is being caught, and there are no dots being connected. The forgetfulness mm-hmm. was tough. The difficulty processing emotions is, is tough with the chemo brain.
0: I think I don't know if I had chemo, maybe I'm having chemo in brain, not to remember if I had <laughs> chemo brain, but but um emotions were definitely intense and hard for me to process regardless of whether or not that was a thing or not. Okay, you had the red devil. I
1: had the red devil and for then four.
0: for 4. And then when that was over, you had to have now you're doing you said 16 treatments of 12 treatments of taxol. Okay. And that's because of the fact that you are that's your safeguard. That's your that's right. That's your protection. Being both stage
1: two and the triple negative added on those 12 treatments of Taxol weekly.
0: And you said that you will have radiation
1: next? I, I will. When I'm done with Taxol in four weeks, then I will get about a month to recover and I have 25 radiation treatments. So I should be done around the 1st of March.
0: Yay! Celebration! Yay, yay. Every every step is a step closer to being done. I want to circle back to what you were talking about a moment ago when you were, were concerned about taking somebody's peace of mind away. And I bring this up because in some ways I feel like it prevented you from picking up the phone and reaching out to me. And I think that your heart was in the right place. It was, I thought that I was safe because I had this prophylactic mastectomy done. And even though you know that your risk doesn't go down to zero, 90% down to single digits is huge, right? And then all of a sudden, your worst nightmare happens, and this is coming up. And so in some ways, I would imagine that's like somebody ripping the rug out from underneath you, and you didn't want to do that to anybody else. You kind of stayed guarded and didn't really want to reach out and talk to Anybody, And that that did keep you from calling me for a while, didn't it? It did.
1: It kept me for about six weeks from contacting you. And I felt so guilty taking your piece away. I didn't want to steal your piece. And when I finally did, it was such a relief because I wanted to connect with you. Mm -hmm. And although in the back of my mind, I knew you could handle it. And what a cool story we were about to have that... I got to be there for you when you were diagnosed, and then now I want you to be there for me while I'm diagnosed. Not many friendships get to go both ways. ways. And that we get to each go through that with each other. But it took some bravery. It took having to process some... It required you to be vulnerable. Absolutely. And when I finally did pick up the phone and call you... It was instant relief. And you have shown up for me, Joyce, in ways that I could never imagine. You're going to make me cry. Your listeners need to notice that this girl will beat your door down saying, (laughs) I'm going to take you to chemo. I'm going to take you to chemo. When am I going to take you to chemo? And I kept thinking, why don't we do lunch or something? Who wants to take somebody to chemo? (laughs) Which
0: we are doing later today. We're going to lunch.
1: (laughs) So you have... You have proven that guilt wrong yeah. and I don't have it anymore because knowledge is power. It is.
0: And 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 vulnerability, Brene Brown, you and I have talked about before, she's got some excellent advice and she talks about how vulnerability is how connection is made. And that's ultimately, according to her and her research, the root of love and belonging is what she says in, in her in her research and her books. And I could not agree more. I mean, case in point, right here, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was so glad that you chose to call me. And I I felt guilty for a little bit that you felt like you couldn't call for so long. And I just want anybody out there listening to know that if you are feeling like you have to keep all of your cards held close to your chest because you're afraid of reaching out. You don't want to burden somebody else, be it in whatever stage that you may be, that there is support and there is love out there. And I think you said this at the beginning, Your the advice is to, to let people show up for you. Mm-hmm.
1: Let it go. Let it go. Don't don't worry about burdening other people. That some people will come and some people won't come, and people will come in different ways and in different time constraints. And some people will come with tangible things. Some people will come with themselves. Some people will come sit on the sofa with you and watch TV because you can't move. And there is a place at the table for everyone. Let them.
0: Yeah. What what was it that finally turned things around and motivated you to pick up that phone? I needed you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I
1: needed the help through it. I, I enjoy friendships. I have an incredible family of support and love support and depend on the support and was getting so much out of support that I wanted more support. Mm-hmm. It, it's empowering yeah. being surrounded by people who have walked these same Absolutely. steps.
0: And that's the whole image that I came up with um, when you were there for me in the beginning is you were my lighthouse. The whole together we weather the storm idea is that I felt like I was alone on this terrifying journey, stepping onto this rickety raft that had to sail me across this freaking hurricane to get to some unknown place that I really didn't want to leave my cozy beach, but I knew I had to right? Because staying where I was was not going to let me live. It was going to catch up with me. I had to brave the journey. And yet when I spoke with other people who had been there and done that, everyone collected. They were each their own little flicker of light and together it made it less scary. I wasn't alone. I may have had to be the one to walk the walk. I may have had to be the one to sail that sea but i didn't have to do it alone and knowing that and seeing that light shine from all these different people that were supporting me it spreads hope and it gives me the courage to be able to weather that storm and you were most definitely one of those lighthouses Well, I I feel like the
1: people in my life that have done the same have been my rainbows. And you are absolutely one of mine. So what a... What a two-way street there. It's a very isolating journey. It is. Especially you were, like me, both diagnosed in our 30s. We don't have a lot of peers our age who
0: have dealt with this, so we have to go searching for it a little bit more. Exactly. Because, you know, in life when hard things happen, you want to go and talk to your girlfriends, right? Like, well, how did this work? What do I what do I expect when, when I do this? But to add on a layer of difficulty here, your go-to girlfriends that you've had by your side, they're not experiencing this. Who do you call? Mm-hmm. Who do you lean on that gets it, that knows what you're talking about? And you've been an incredible blessing because, because of that. So for anybody out there listening, reach out. Don't try to weather it all on your own. Find your people. What emotions did you have when you were first diagnosed and how did they change throughout? That's a great question. When I was
1: first diagnosed,
0: I wanted to cross my arms
1: and stomp my feet and say life was unfair. Mm -hmm. So that took a few weeks of how can this be happening? How dare that? Darn cancer. And it slowly faded into the fear and the anxiety of, oh, shoot, I've got to do this now. Things start happening really fast. And surgeries and scans and doctor's appointments and and life is just coming at you 90 miles an hour so you don't get a lot of time to stop and think and process so it starts to get nerve-wracking and I had a lot of anxiety it seems like every time you go to the doctor you learn a little bit more about your cancer a little bit more about the staging, a little bit more about the plan. And and as your plan is unfolding, the anxiety starts to increase of what you're about to have, the path you're about
0: to have to walk down. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the biggest challenge and then maybe even the biggest life lesson?
1: I would say some of the biggest challenges are learning how to be honest. I don't have to just always say today's a great day. I can have some crummy days and that's allowed. So being honest with myself, my body, Being kind to myself, I can't run like I did before cancer, but I can be proud of myself because yesterday I walked three miles. Slow stroll, but I did it. Mm -hmm. And and changing those standards and being kind to myself, knowing now that I am going to get through this and I can get back to whatever level I want to be to, but that right now I just have to be kind and take this one step at a time.
0: I think that's very important for people to realize too, is that where you may be now doesn't have to be where you're going to stay. So be patient, be kind, and know that you'll get there. You will. I remember when I was going through chemo, there were days when I just couldn't move. I would be on the bed and I would be so angry at my body. This is my body. Why won't it listen to my mind? Get up. Go body. Go play in the other room with your kids. And I felt guilty and bad that I couldn't. But having to take a moment and recognize that that's okay. This isn't going to define who I am. This isn't going to be me my entire life. This is just a moment in time. And I will get better. And, and celebrate those little things that you do. You walk three miles. You get up. There were days when my exercise was walking laps around the kitchen. I did two laps. I've done my exercise. Mm-hmm. With it, that's all I can handle. And then slowly building back up afterwards. And, and it'll get there. You've already given quite a few awesome metaphors throughout our conversation here. I really like the football one. I hadn't thought about that with chemo brain, <laughs> but that is pretty pretty well put there. You and I were talking the other day about one when we were talking about processing our emotions. We knew that we had to process those emotions. We couldn't just ignore the fact that sadness or fear or whatever grief was there. I know I used to think I could, and I was always going to be a little Miss Happy Girl and ignore that other stuff. And I couldn't. You had made the, the metaphor about a house and that you could go into each room. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. As I was starting to accept
1: that anxiety, was going to be part of this journey and that it was okay to be part of this journey. And truthfully, I'm going to learn and grow stronger, letting it be part of this journey too, because my eyes are so much wider open and my ears are listening in those moments that I I started visualizing a house with different rooms in it. And I was going to let there be a room for fear and anxiety that I can walk into and, and I can sit in that space and let it protect me in the way it's supposed to protect me and then I can walk out of the room and one of the things you challenged me to Joyce was to leave that door cracked open
0: mm-hmm.
1: and let the air circulate through and that was a further challenge that I enjoyed in my imagining of that metaphor on not necessarily just shutting that door and locking it and walking away and pretend like it doesn't exist when i don't want it to but actually learning how to deal with it
0: all the time all the time and i think this goes back to the ultimate healing is learning to accept all of it is part of us those happy those sad the anxiety the laughter all of these emotions are part of us and, and they don't they don't define who we are and letting them be this has been a life lesson of mine that I am not proficient at. I have my days when I want to throw my fear into this room and close and lock the door. And if it's in the west wing, I'm living in the east wing. I'm not touching that end of the house. <laughs> but what a beautiful idea to be able to do that. That's my goal. I want to get there. I'm a work in progress. I think we're all works works in progress. Works. But I do want to live in a house where, where the doors are open and the air can circulate. Because then when you walk by that room it's not as potent either. That fear, that sadness, that air in those rooms, it won't be as strong as when if I open the door and the air can circulate throughout the house. It gives me a little bit more control.
1: And as we practice that more, I feel like we will become more compassionate people with others around us if we're learning how to accept our whole selves will be able to show up more whole and complete for the other people in our lives as they have their hard times as
0: well. Right. But what a powerful life lesson that is when we accept that. What was the best kind of support that you were given throughout this journey? Oh,
1: the variety of support has been huge. For starters, my family who is so deeply affected and this is both my immediate family my parents and my sister and my husband and my children, but also the extended family of aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents that we've been so deeply affected with breast cancer, these are the people that show up and want to fight your battle for you. They are the people you want on your football team. They came running on day one, crossing arms, stomping feet, and saying life is unfair for me, and it was great. They could just take over and be that fighter spirit that I needed. And then there was the other extreme of maybe those who don't know what to say. And that is totally okay because you need people in your life where things are just normal. Because mm-hmm. when you're going through a cancer journey, you eat, sleep, and breathe, talk about cancer. Right. And if there are friendships or family members in your life that don't necessarily feel comfortable or don't know what to say, that is okay. Don't say anything at all because we need normal conversations. Let's go to
0: hockey. Let's go do this. Let's go. There you go. Let's go grab lunch. Let's whatever you want to do that's outside living outside of cancer.
1: Yes. Give me that hour break where we don't even talk about it and it is okay.
0: And then also not only having the, those that are there and helping support with the cancer and those that are giving you that outlet, but then you always have those speckles of people that are out there that don't always know what to say and end up saying some things that may not be so great. Like I read, I read to you, I believe it was written by Caitlin Feely. I've been trying to find the author. I think it's Caitlin Feely. And it's a well-known story about what is it like to have cancer And it's The Mountain Lion Story. And for those that haven't read it, go to American Cancer Society. It's on there. Or just Google Caitlin Feely Mountain Lion Cancer Story and you'll find it. It is hysterical and very well written. But she talks about how... Fighting cancer is basically you running away from a mountain lion, which kind of seems a little very true, right? It feels like that. And then, you know, you're looking to the left and the right and comparing your mountain lion to other people's mountain lions, and some are wimpy and some are really strong, whatever. And then the part that I really crack up every time I read it is that you have people on the sidelines that are yelling things like, that's not really a mountain lion, or the best part that she writes is... (laughs) I heard that it's allergic to kale. Have you tried rubbing kale on it? And Caitlin Feely, wherever you are out there, I have laughed and laughed and laughed at what you wrote. It is just perfectly well said. What do what do you want to add about the rub kale on it?
1: That definitely happens. And it has taken some processing to come to terms with those comments that there's no harm meant in them. Don't be angry. I have probably stuck my foot in my mouth a million times when trying to show up for somebody as well
0: recognize the root of where they're coming from is coming out of love. They're not trying to be cruel or mean or say hurtful things. They're talking to you and saying these things because they love you and because they're trying to help and protect you. They just don't necessarily know that what they're saying isn't helpful. So give them a little bit of credit there. Yes, they are trying to show up and show love
1: in in a very gentle way because kale would be a lot easier than chemo. Right. I love what our oncologist
0: said. Share that with us. Um,
1: She said guard yourself. Everyone is going to come after you with a new food, a new diet, but that you did not cause this cancer. It's not your fault. It is not your fault. You are not going to cure it with any home remedy and you're going to have to guard yourself in some of the advice you get. So I can take that advice and think of it as someone just showing me
0: love, but I don't have to use the advice. Right.
1: And I don't have to
0: explain. You can still love the person just not accepting the Yeah. Mess. Yeah. All right. I have two more questions for you. First of all, we both have young girls. So what would you like that next generation of young girls that are growing into women to know about breast cancer?
1: To love their bodies. Don't fear their bodies. Love their growing and developing bodies for the beautiful role that their bodies might possibly do with having babies and and to take responsibility for their bodies and take care of their bodies with mammograms and monthly self-breast exams and to be hopeful that every generation things get a little bit better. The medical advancements are in their favor and I look forward to the next generation having
0: um, it just a little bit easier than we have. Every generation is getting closer and closer. And I like, as far as the beauty and loving your body part, I like to remind people what their true beauty is. And I wrote a piece, it's, um, it's Redefining Beauty, and it's on my website together, weweather.org, under the blog section. And I basically talk about what our beauty is. Our beauty is the fact that this is our body, our mind, our soul. It belongs to us and no other. And it's our vessel that carries us through life. So we need to love it, protect it, and not apologize for any piece of it. What would you like women who say maybe diagnosed tomorrow to walk away knowing from this podcast?
1: I think I got a lot of hope seeing people who had made it to the other side, just looking at them and say, someone else made it. I know I can get through these steps one step at a time. I can, I can walk down this path. That an actually good is going to come of it. That's hard to see in the thick of it. And I would still consider myself to be in the thick of it, but I'm starting to just barely see over the horizon. And I can put some things into words that have happened along the way. There's this John Piper quote that God's always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you might be aware of three of them. And that makes a lot of sense to me on this journey because. Goodness can come from this messy situation that we don't have to love going through this. I can stomp my feet every step of the way through this, but that it's an opportunity to grow and to become stronger, to deepen relationships.
0: I like to say that we can and we will sculpt goodness from our shadows. It doesn't mean that we like the terrible thing. I mean, if people gave me the opportunity for a redo, hey, do you want to do this journey all over again? I would say, keep that shit the hell away from me. (laughs) No, thank you. I'm not doing it. So I definitely don't like the terrible thing that has happened in my life. I am not the person that says, sure, let me do it all over again. Who's going to say that? Not me. Mm. And I certainly wouldn't wish it on the next person either. So when you're going through adversity in your life, know that you can bring good from something bad, but it doesn't mean you have to like and appreciate the bad. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We are very, very happy to have you with us. Thank you for having me, Joyce. And thank you to all of y'all at home listening. If you've liked some of the episodes that Keepers of the Flame has put together, please leave us a rating or review and help other women be able to find it because together we do weather this storm. And please also remember... Not to let shame, fear, or guilt keep you from being vulnerable, from creating those connections that Brene Brown says in her research that helps to be the birthplace of love and belonging. Reach out, find your people, because together we weather this storm. You are never alone.